Welcome to Welcome Informed. We are here today with Bobby Ruth Langley, owner of Radiant Heart Aftercare. So, Bobby Ruth, tell us a bit about yourself. My name is Bobby Ruth Langley. I live in Bellingham, Washington. I own and operate uh, Radiant Heart Aftercare for Pets, which was formerly known as Life Cycle Pet Cremation Inc. It actually is Life Cycle Pet Cremation Inc. We're just doing business as Radiant Heart. We rebranded a couple of years ago, and it was very it was a, it was a good move. So I've been I've owned and operated Radiant Heart since 2013. It is not a franchise. It's just a solely owned little entity. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what, what else you would like me to say. How did you get the idea to do this? Or how, what, what brought you to start doing this? So back in 2005, I was a software development coordinator for a very small family-owned data firm. And I'd worked for them for eight years. And we had adopted two children from Ukraine and we're really struggling. And so I actually quit my job and tried an entrepreneurial experiment. And so I, what I chose was pet sitting. We had four cats and three dogs and we'd hired pet sitters in every location we had ever lived in, professional pet sitters. And I had talked with our pet sitter and she said, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely room for more pet care uh, specialists in our area. So I started a little company called The Placid Pets. It was very successful. At its height, I had 13 employees and we served about 350 households in Whatcom County on a regular basis. But it was not the end all be all for me. So five, six years into that, my husband at the time, Bill, and I started thinking about other second companies that I could run. We, oh gosh, we looked at everything, including cannabis companies. And one night, we were, we were at home and our senior tabby, Tommy, who was about 17 at the time, it was his night to be euthanized. And so our vet um, from Village Vet came over, Dr. Bangert. On that evening, Dr. Bangert from Village Vet came over to euthanize Tommy. And Bill, as a hobby, does woodworking. And so he had made this beautiful little coffin for Tommy and it was up on the mantle and Dr. Banger noticed it. She said, oh, that's, you know, that's really pretty. And I turned to Bill just to kind of lighten the mood. Uh, and I said, oh, there's a business for you. That's kind of what we would just say. If we'd see something, we'd go, oh, there's a business for you. And we'd been doing that for two years. And she turned to me and she said, no, if you want to start a business, because she knew about my pet city business. If you want to start a new business, start a pet cremation business, because it's really difficult for us to explain to clients why their pets have to go to Seattle. So my initial reaction was, huh? And then I thought, okay. And the next day I called, I just kind of looked up some professionals in the field. And within a week, it was super clear that this was what I needed to do. It checked off a lot of boxes for me. It fit well with, uh, I had a background in a little bit of a background in ministry. I went to the Divinity School at the University of Chicago. I dropped out. I did not, I did not finish my, my MDiv, but I was there for a year and a half. And one of the afternoon, um, just kind of off-the-cuff afternoon sessions I had attended at the University of Chicago was on grief. And it was given by probably the foremost authority on grief in the United States. And it just opened my mind to how... Gosh, we can just, we're so hard on ourselves in terms of getting over grief and how we handle grief. And the timelines are so very, very long. And we have to just give ourselves permission. And 
you know, the, and, and how people grieve differently. And so I was able to take that and use it in to help several personal friends. But anyway, so I had this deep, deep, um, uh, I had a very deep interest in uh, grief and especially related to the loss of a pet. We had a very tragic loss of a pet early on in my life and my family. So there's that. It was a business to run. Um, it was a service that was needed. Um, it was something that I could wholly create from the ground up. It was something that I could actually do in a different way than had been done throughout the industry. And yeah, so within, like I said, within a week, it was clear, this is what I want to do. So I went to the Small Business Development Center, who had helped me with the Placid Pet, and said, this is what I want to do. And I took one of their six-week courses and, you know, came up, did the research and knew how much money I would need, which at the time in 2013 to get a flame crematorium and, you know, pay rent on a place for a couple months, it was $80,000. Well, then I went to the bank and I didn't have $80,000. I went to the bank to get a small business loan. And they said, yeah, but in order to get a small business loan for $80,000, you have to prove that you have 15,000 of it. You have to have 20%. Well, I didn't have $15,000 and neither did my husband at the time. So what I did is I started talking with friends about possibly becoming business partners. And, but I still had this thing where we were still planning. We were going to make it happen. We were going to, you know, we really were, it was like we were going to put it in place no matter what. But then my mom had been dying during that period. And we were a little estranged, but she passed away. And my, I have one brother, one older brother, and Don called me and he said, well, have you ever read the will? And I said, no, why would I read our mother's will? I mean, I didn't expect her to leave us anything. And he said, well, she left us each $15,000. So without even knowing I was interested in this, she, had, she became the benefactor for this company. And what's interesting is when I grew up, my mother would constantly tell me, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, if you don't own the business, you're just a hired hand. At least that was her mentality. And I never thought I could be an entrepreneur. And then anyway, so just here and da 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 So anyway, so it kind of seemed meant to be. And I think it was. So I think we do, we do so much good in the community. We really are special. There's nobody else in the industry that does, does things the way we do it does memorials to the level that we do. I don't, I actually get people from around the country. They'll see photos of our ink prints on our website and they'll want to use them on t-shirts, that kind of thing. So I know we're doing a really, really good job. So let me, let me stop you there. Yeah. And let's actually talk about those different services offered by your company. Sure. We offer on site, meaning we own our own crematoriums, eco-friendly water cremation and flame cremation, traditional flame cremation. We have a very small flame crematorium. It's probably one of the smallest you can buy. So for years, we had a limit of going up to about 150 pounds. And then I heard about aquamation. Here's what happened. So I've been doing flame cremation for four or five years. Wasn't really thrilled with it, but still within what Radiant Heart was doing, it was still a very, very good thing. I just wasn't really crazy about the whole idea of flame cremation and putting CO2 into the atmosphere. And then one of my good friends, Nancy Kenny, sent me a text one Sunday morning with a link to an article in the Seattle Times about this group called Rusting Waters in Seattle who had opened a pet aquamation service. And I said, what? And I looked into it and I read this article and I said, oh, oh, I need to do that. 
that would go over very well in Bellingham. That I need to do this. So like, sorry, that's my dog time. So I called the gals at Rusting Waters and I said, hey, can I come see your facility and your machine? And they said, yes, by all means. Now, you have to understand, when I entered the pet cremation, when I entered the pet cremation business back in 2013, you know, the flame cremation people, um, if you're not in their area, their, your area, they're very, very kind and very, very helpful. But it's a very competitive business. And my competitor is a super huge industrial provider of flame cremation in Seattle. And um, so it's, and it, he made my life a little bit difficult. And so there wasn't a lot of camaraderie, but when I was in pet care, there was a ton of camaraderie and we would always refer to each other and help each other whenever we needed. So I was used to people helping each other until I got into flame cremation. Well, then aquamation, totally different. We are all so helpful to each other. You know, um, if one of us runs out of alkali, we know we can buy bags from the other one. Mm-hmm. They've come up here. I've gone down there. I mean, it's just if somebody comes up with a good idea for running the machine, because the machines are, the, the makers of the machine are brilliant people. But in terms of running these machines, there's a lot of different way you can do the aquamation process, especially the finishing. The way we do it, which is shown on our video, is very different how, from most people. Do, most people actually bake the bones to dry them. And I just, it, I tried it. It didn't work. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. We don't have to use heat. We can use just fans and Actually, an air conditioner and a dehydrator. We don't need to apply heat. But anyway, I digress. So anyway, so we within the aquamation business, very supportive of each other. So went down there, figured out, yes, I absolutely have to do this. And we need to add this service. And went to the bank and said, okay, well, I need a loan for X. Well, no, I'm sorry. I didn't go to the bank. So I went to the machine maker. Um, bioresponse solutions. And I said, Hey, I want one of your PET 400s. And they said, great. It's going to cost $80,000 plus tax. And I said, okay. And I said, do you know anybody who does financing? And they said, yes. So they hooked me up with Western um, financing in Chicago. And they gave me a really sweet 5% loan, which was great. Um, again, I had to have 5,000 up front, but I could do that at the time. And um, so they gave me a loan for my equipment and then we ordered the equipment and it was about a six month wait. But in the meantime, I had signage made. I started changing our promotional materials and, um, you know, instantly people were like, oh, yeah. And I would say within the first three months, maybe it took us three months. You might have to go back and check. It probably took us about three months before we got above 75 percent. But we are now at, I think, 85% of our clients choose aquamation, if not more. I wish it was 100%. I wish I could get away with not doing flame cremation at all. The benefit to flame cremation, though, is that it's fast. So if somebody from Seattle wants to come up and they want to witness a cremation and they want same-day service, well, we can do that with flame, but we can't do that with aquamation. Aquamation takes a couple of days. The process itself is about... Um, we can we can start a cremation about once every 24 hours. Yeah, and then there's drying time, so it's a couple of days. You folks just took care of our little mini. Yeah. So that took that was about a week, which was about what I expected. So 
Well, and you know, some people get anxious with even a week, but you know, if you went through a vet who uses my main competitor, it's at least a two week turnaround, you know, because they have to send a truck up, you know, get the pet out of a freezer from the vets and then truck it back down to Seattle and put it in another freezer and then take it out for the cremation. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't like going, oh, we have to have it done right away. It was, we want to do what's best you know, for the environment, but we still want her remains because my husband, I mean, this was his best buddy for 15 years. Right. So it was like, no, we're not going to go for the no remains. We have a beautiful little box and I'm going to make some little stuff to go along with it. You know, awesome. I'm an artistic person. So (laughs) good. But I love Talk a little bit about all of those wonderful other things because you work with some local artists. I saw a lot of that in the office when I came in. And then also you do on-site memorials. So what we do on-site is uh, we do really, you know, you see a really wonderful clay print. People are like clay paw prints, but our clay prints are $50. And there's a reason they're $50. Number one, we get a really beautiful impression Put the name on it. We use Sculpey Original Clay, which when baked will not break. They're like hockey pucks. I hate going to people's homes and seeing a pet clay paw print, you know, like the terracotta paw print up on a windowsill that has broken in two. You know, I just, I didn't want that to happen to our clients. So we use something that's pretty much indestructible and gives a really, really nicely detailed print and it's baked. And then we sand it. We actually have a special room for machine sanding just the clay paw prints. And so we machine and hand sand them and they're beautiful. They're beautiful. We, we consider them little works of art. And I go into people's homes and they have them on display and they've had them on display for, you know, nine years. People love them. So I'm, I'm so proud of that. And then we do really beautiful ink paw prints, as I was telling you about. We're just able, we've just developed a, a technique and a way to do it that just works really, really well. And we spend the time, you know, we really take the time to get a good paw print. Mm-hmm. But we also do, we also do cast and, or mold and cast. And I don't know anybody else anywhere who does a mold and cast of a pet's muzzle, but I can do it. It took me about six months to figure out how to do it and what materials to use, but we do it now all the time. And those are really, really neat. It's just a reproduction, you know, it's like a sculptural reproduction of your pet's um, nose. And for cats, I've actually done the full face with the ears has a little bit of a, so I'm actually working on one of those right now. And they're really neat. They're just really, I just think they're super cool. And, and of course we can do paws as well, you know, cause the bias, you know, it's like, well, the, the clay paw print's great. It's an impression. It's very, it's a wonderful signifier of that pet, but you know, wouldn't it be great to have a complete reproduction? And um, so, yeah, we do that. We do really beautiful fur clippings, and I know that sounds silly, but we put them in a beautiful heart-shaped box, and we layer the fur, and so it also is very artistically put together. And I can also do what I call fur capture. This is also something I don't know anybody else who does it, and but I developed a way where I can actually keep a section of the fur on a pet stable and then use a grooming tool to remove it at the root and then re-adhere that to cardstock. So that you actually have a pettable section or, you know, like for once, one time I did a, there was a pit bull that had a heart shape on her hip mm-hmm. and I was able to save that for the owner. So that that's cool too. 
We also do some resin projects in-house like Corona beads. But, you know, when it comes to beads or jewelry, just it's the outside groups that we work with that are so wonderful. Baker Williams is a young artist here in Bellingham, a glass blower. He makes our Cheerios beads, which are super popular. He also makes some pendants and some other stuff and marbles and glass with the cremated remains. Over the years, I've just been able to kind of cultivate relationships with some really fantastic artists, most of them local and regional, but some of them are national. For example, our, we have this beautiful teardrop pendants that is made by a gentleman in New Jersey. There is probably one of the best glass blowers in the United States, Henry, who now lives in Maine. He does pendants and other things for us. And But then also looking for urns. A lot of people over the years, I've just found they like wood. They like wood-based mm-hmm. urns. And some people like really natural and some people like really refined. And so I actually, you know, I will spend time on Etsy. I'll just spend a lot of time on Etsy. And I'll find somebody who's really, really good at what they do and that they're doing something interesting. I don't like to sell stuff that looks like an urn. I want people to have a work of art so that when they have it in their house and they walk by it, they think of their pet, but they also they think really wonderful things. It's not a depressing. So, yeah. So it's just over time we've developed these relationships and uh, it's worked really well. So let's circle back around to water cremation. Why should people choose water cremation, whether for themselves or for their path? Eco-friendly water cremation and flame cremation do the same thing. They simply reduce the soft tissue and leave bone, and then that bone is ground down and returned to use cremated remains. Some people choose not to. Some people want to save skulls or they, they want to save as many of the bones as possible, but it's very rare. You know, maybe less than 1% of people want that, but that's something we can do, and it's much easier done with aquamation. Eco-friendly water cremation and flame cremation do the same thing. They simply reduce the soft tissue and leave bone, uh, which is then ground down and returned to use cremated remains. But with eco-friendly water cremation, unlike flame cremation, we don't have to use a ton of natural gas to create a really powerful flame to break down the soft tissue. And we're not generating a lot of CO2 as a byproduct. Instead, eco-friendly water cremation uses a lot of water, and a little bit of white crystallized alkali, not acid, but alkali. Mm -hmm. And just like the flame, the water and the alkali break down the soft tissue at a molecular level. Just It just does it much more slowly. The central cycle of the process is 20 hours, but it does it. It's so much gentler that you end up with about 20% more cremated remains than you do with flame cremation. They're whiter, they're softer, works great in jewelry or in art glass memorials. And you don't have the uh, the black carbon that you sometimes have in, in flame cremated remains. So again, it's really better all the way around, except for speed. And again, flame cremation, you know, if somebody needs same-day service, we can do that with flame cremation. And it's interesting. Some people will say, you know, well, my pet didn't like water. A lot of people will choose flame or water based on emotional reasons, purely emotional. It has nothing to do with the practicality, if it's good for the environment, nothing. It's, no, my pet really didn't like water. I'm going to go with flame. Or they're just, they don't want to look into it. They just, they don't want the details. They just, they have either a, ro- a kind of, a, I want to say, romantic idea about flame cremation, or they just don't want to get their head around a new process. And uh, so they, they choose flame cremation for whatever reason. I always, we always recommend eco-friendly water cremation. Okay, so here's a weird question that I've always wanted to ask since I had for decades is, if someone opts for the cremation and no remains, mm-hmm. what happens to those remains? 
So it's called a communal cremation. And what that means is multiple pets are cremated in the same area of the crematorium. And we do all communals are done via aquamation. And so what happens is, again, the process is so gentle that when we open up the crematorium, typically, you know, you would think, yes, it's, it's, there's kind of, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of mixed bones, but typically the skulls survive. And so we keep a map, a very careful map of who is in that cremation. And so we know exactly how many pets are in there. And a lot of times I can take just a small sample from each skull and I put it aside. And then once a quarter, we grind up all those cremated remains that we've saved from everybody and take a small subsample. And then we go to a body of water like Whatcom Creek or um, you know, down to the Nooksack River. And we do a little ceremony. We actually have this little ceremony. This is also something I don't know anybody else who does it, but it was something from the very beginning that I wanted to do, which was to honor those communal, those pets who were communally cremated. So now it's become this little ceremony where we, we print off a list of all the pets involved and somebody distributes the cremated remains very slowly into the water as another person reads the list. And then at the end, I have this little song I wrote and I sing this little song. And then, and what's happening is pet parents want to be there. So we, I typically have two or three pet parents who join me, which is lovely. And then they, you know, typically I step out and they can stay if they want. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's just kind of nice. It's very, very informal, but it's just, it's just a nice way to honor those pets. Now, okay, so that's what we do, those small samples. The majority of the cremated remains are handled by sanitary services. And that's because that's what the health department wants. Right. So is there anything else that that you'd like? Oh, there is one question. So do you do memorials there? I noticed you have a nice little room and all that. Right. So we have this beautiful little reflection room and people can use it however they want. We'll have entire families come in and be with the pet or one thing we do offer that certainly my competitors don't offer. And that is, for example, say your pet passes away, say at animal emergency or say the pet was being treated at a vet clinic, was at the vet clinic overnight and passed away. And we, for whatever reason, are asked to pick up the pet and bring it here. If they don't get to see the pet or say a daughter is out of town at camp, but she wants to see the pet before it's cremated. We have viewings in that room. We can, you know, we can, we can typically, except in warmer months with big dogs and they, they tend to bloat, but typically we can, you know, keep a pet without putting it in the freezer and keep it cool enough where people can come in and do viewings. And I tell you what, I get asked probably at least once a month, a pet parent will call and say, I want to see my pet, but my friends tell me not to. They say it would be a big mistake. And I'm like, you know, look, your friends are really, they're just looking out for you. But here's the thing. 100% of the time, for the people who have been on the fence of whether to come do a viewing or not, 100% of the time when they've done it, it was incredibly valuable. Some people actually will just hold their pets for an hour. You know, it's their baby. That body is important. You know, yes, the spirit may have left the body, but think of all the time you've spent caring for and feeding and petting and washing and just being with that body. And so it deserves a great deal of respect. But anyway, yeah, so we use those rooms. Like I said, pet parents can use that room however they want. That's wonderful because, yeah, not everybody, not every pet passes because of euthanasia. They often pass for some other reason. 
Right. And so to have that opportunity to say goodbye, that's invaluable because we have to have that grieving process. And some people actually might even be with their pet when their pet passed away, but their brains are so fried, you know, and especially if it was unexpected, they go home and they're like, I don't have a sense of closure. I need to see my baby again. And so the viewing option gives them that. That That's not something I've ever heard of, but I, I am so moved by that whole idea of giving people that opportunity. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Well, I appreciate your time today and I learned a whole bunch (laughs) and hopefully my listeners will learn a little from this. So many people just don't really understand the whole grieving process around pets. And a lot of times they're just like, you know, other people don't understand a person's grief. And when you've been together with an animal for 15 or 20 years, uh, that's hard. It changes your life. Well, and it's it's different for every generation. If you've got time, I'm going to take another 10 minutes of your time to talk about this because um, my coworker, my former coworker, Barrett, and I for several years have done an hour-long presentation to Bellingham Tech Vet Tech students on grief, just this. And the way we developed it, we were allowed to do it however we wanted. And we broke it down kind of generationally because the way kids grieve over a pet is different from how a senior citizen is going to grieve over pets. Mm-hmm. And so say you've got a senior citizen, you've got somebody who's 70 years old, they lose their dog of seven, 16 years. That dog could be a link back to a spouse that they've lost, a link back to a different time. The death of that pet could be a bellwether for them in terms of their own, own mortality. Right now, millennials, because all the kids who grew up with Facebook and social, um, social media and they don't spend as much time in person together with their friends as, as we did growing up. They're very, very close to their pets. Sometimes their, their pets are their main people. Also with seniors, you know, taking care of the pet could be the reason they get up in the morning. They spend a lot more time with that pet than they do any family member. And we get that a lot too, especially middle-aged people that say, I grieved more over the loss of this dog than I did my mom. I said, well, there's a reason for that. There's unconditional love. There's the constant presence. There's, there are a lot of factors that go into it. But a pet being a link back, that's really interesting. I've had several moms where their um, their children died very tragically, like in an auto accident or one was even shot accidentally, and they were left with the cats, right? And then the cat lives for five additional years, then passes away. And then they have to go through the grief of losing their daughter all over again. Or with spouses, that happens too. You just, you they will, that because that pet is such a link back and is such a, a symbol of a different time and, and of that person that they lost too. And yeah, people don't, people don't think about that because they've, they've heard about the death of the daughter. They don't want to hear it again, you know, but we do, we, you know, we're definitely interested in people's stories so they can sit down and talk to us. Yeah. It's it, things that make people's grief complex and so many things can make grief complex and the more complex the grief is, the harder it is to start healing. And the timelines of grief are just extraordinary. You know, it takes, if you lose a child, a human child, it is five to 10 years before you start having more good days than bad days. So that's an extraordinary amount of time. And you think about it, people are like, yeah. And you know, for pets, for a lot of people, they're their babies. And while they may not grieve as long, I, I, some people do. I was a, I'm a facilitator for the pet loss support group at, Wash, at um, Whatcom Humane Society. 
it is not unusual to have somebody come in who lost a pet 10 years ago. And they just need to talk about it with other people who've gone, who've gone through it. Things get a little bit easier, but they never quite get over the loss of that pet. No, my best friend went through that because, and, but it's funny, she takes responsibility for one of my pets that died. Yeah. How's that? Because she stopped by my house at bus time, but she stopped by my house. The dog got out, got ran over by the school bus. Oh. And she still brings it up. It still impacts her. The idea that she caused the death of my dog. And I'm like, he was an escape artist. It wasn't your fault. But she'll still bring that up. And it's like. Well, but you know what? She won't. She'll never get over that. That's the thing. You got over that a lot quicker than she did. And we've had situations where siblings have been accidentally involved or children have been accidentally involved with the death of a pet. Sometimes the other people are the owners of the pet are angry for a little bit, mm-hmm. but the folks who caused it never get over it. They just never mm-hmm. do. It just becomes some like a little, like a little piece of sand that eventually gets a pearl, you know, kind of mm-hmm. built around it, but it's still there. It's always there. That yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time today. All right. Well, thank you so very much. I hope it's helpful.